Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Lots to talk about. The Premier holding a news conference today, extending the state of emergency in this province. Some good news of the 4,700 travellers who returned home after the stricter quarantine rules where you had to prove you had an isolation plan, a self-isolation plan. Only 84 had to be put into hotels, into government to quarantine. So a bit of news coming from the Premier. So that looks like things are going to stay like this. Things are not going to be loosened as far as the new restrictions in place because of COVID-19. What does that mean when it comes to family law? And if you have questions about this in the next half hour, there will be a chance to get those questions both asked and answered because Stuart Zuckerman is joining me now, a lawyer with Zuckerman Law, to talk a little bit more about this. Stuart, thanks so much for being back on the show. Thanks for having me. What are some of the biggest questions you are hearing from people uh, navigating both this uh, pandemic with the increased restrictions and things like custody arrangements and other parts of family law? Uh, Well, we're certainly hearing uh, in the news about uh, increased uh, incidents of domestic violence and uh, calls to uh, uh, women's shelters and other things like that, I guess, in times of... uh, being uh, constricted to the home there's if there's cracks in a relationship it tends to be magnified and there's that uh, that opportunity for or the potential for for abuse to uh, to increase under those circumstances so i'm certainly hearing that that there are uh, an increase in, the, in in those kind of concerns going on and then there's also concerns between families that are sharing children um <clears throat> in terms of the parenting schedule and the back and forth between both households when you have this uh, environment of uh, of COVID going on um, and people being concerned about one household having a different standard uh, in terms of cleanliness or hygiene uh, versus uh, others. So uh, we do get calls uh, and have gotten calls from people saying, you know, my spouse is not as COVID conscious as my household is. How can I keep the child with me instead of sending the child over to his house, et cetera, et cetera. And there, there have been a couple of court cases, uh, both in Ontario and BC, um, that have uh, gone before the courts uh, or have attempted to go before the courts. There is currently the courts are closed except for urgent applications. And anybody who wants to bring an application first has to apply for permission to for the application to be heard to show the urgency of it. So there was a case in Ontario where a mother wanted to keep the child, the daughter, with her because the father, the mother claimed, was not um, being COVID conscious about the hygiene issues. Um, And she applied for permission. And uh, on hearing her evidence and some evidence from the father, uh, in by way of affidavits, the court refused to grant the hearing and ordered that the existing parenting schedule continue in place. And generally, that court decision said that existing court orders and existing parenting arrangements with respect to children should continue during the COVID crisis. And then there was a more recent case um, in British Columbia uh, where the court had faced a very similar uh, situation. Um, and the court reproduced a a memo uh, that was produced by a a well-known, well-respected child psychologist in BC named Dr. Michael Elterman. Um, And Dr. Elterman uh, put forward kind of a seven-point summary um, to help courts and lawyers and mediators uh, uh, manage this whole COVID uh, crisis with respect to the sharing of children. Um, and I, I can take you through those seven points if you want. To. Yeah, please, I think it would be helpful, c- certainly so for the, people. 
the first uh, the case that this is cited in is called NJB versus SF, and it's a decision of Justice McQuillan of our provincial court. Um, and he cites Dr. Elterman, uh, the seven points are, the first is that if a parent has had contact with an infected party, they must disclose that immediately to the other parents. That would seem obvious. The problem is, of course, when you have exes, sometimes they don't get along and they tend to not disclose information. So that's important. Point number two is that if if the parent themselves are infected or even ill with any symptoms or need to be tested, they should not be exercising their parenting time with the child. They should leave the child with the other parent. The third point is if the parent is in a home with older family members or friends or with individuals who are immunocompromised, then the child should not be in that home for the protection of those people. Uh, the fourth point is that there should be no play dates and the child should not be taken to family or social gatherings. Uh, the fifth point is that uh, if parenting time is to occur in a public place, such as a community center or a mall or a restaurant, then it should be suspended. So there are many cases in BC where um, due to often due to family violence and restraining orders uh, against one party, the, the access exchange uh, always takes place in a public mall or at a McDonald's or things like that to avoid the parties having close contact with each other. So he's talking about those kinds of situations. Uh, the sixth point is that if there is a supervisor that is required um, and that supervisor is not um, who is exercising uh, the access, living in the home, then that parenting time should be suspended. And the seventh point is that if either parent or anyone in the household is an essential service worker or is still working with the public, such as a doctor, a nurse, supermarket attendant, pharmacy attendant, flight attendant, etc., then um, there that can be a, an increased risk to the child, and it may be that the child should stay with the other parent. Now, those are all the kind of recommendations and suggestions of Dr. Elterman, and the court referenced them, uh, saying that these are all reasonable recommendations and they're consistent um, with recommendations that have been made by public public health officials. Um, and though uh, although public health official guidelines are not technically before the court, the court was able to take those into consideration, um, including things about social distancing, washing of hands, and avoiding uh, non-essential travel. So the court approved of that uh, of those recommendations, um, but nevertheless, in that particular case, uh, Justice McQuillan ordered that the existing parenting time continue because he found that there wasn't sufficient evidence given by the mother to support her suspicions that the father wasn't engaging in appropriate COVID precautions. And the father, for his part, gave an affidavit saying, I am following COVID precautions and here's the things I'm prepared, you know, I'm ensuring that I do and I will continue to assure, ensure that I do that. And the court said as long as there's evidence uh, of the party who's accused saying that they are, they understand the importance of these steps and they're going to take those steps, then, you know, it, judges make every decision on what's called a, uh, you know, a scale of probabilities and weighing the balance. You have to tip the scale more than 51% in favor of one party for a judge to come to a conclusion. So in that particular case, there wasn't sufficient evidence for the judge to come to the conclusion that the child was at risk, and he accepted the father's assurances that he would do what he needed to do to protect the child. 
We have Stuart Zuckerman on the line, a lawyer at Zuckerman Law, talking about the family law system during this COVID-19 pandemic. And Stuart, just before the break, you were going through uh, what the courts have deemed right now or talked about right now. Uh, I'm curious, and hopefully this wouldn't be an issue, but would there be a stricter punishment if it was found that a parent was trying to use the pandemic uh, to somehow change a custody uh, agreement or was using that kind of false information? Well, there is a provision in the Family Law Act uh, for improper denial um, of uh, parenting time, which can result in a fine of up to $5,000 per incident. Uh, So in the particular case that I referred you to, Justice McQuillan, there was actually a period of denial of access uh, where one parent um, maintained the child and refused to give the child to the other parent despite the order or agreement. And then the court ordered that the parent comply with the order and agreement and provide the access. But the, the court interestingly found that the denial of access was not wrongful because there was uh, a basis for the denial and the for the, a genuine belief um, on the part of, I think it was in that case, on the part of the mother, uh, that the father who had some past incidents with drug addiction and other issues um, uh, had not been complying with uh, the COVID uh, guidelines. So um, it, it, the, because the decision to deny was focused on what was believed to be the best interest of the child, the judge didn't impose a fine and didn't call the denial wrongful. But typically, if somebody did intentionally attempt to withhold a child because of uh, using COVID as an excuse and with no real basis for it, um, that would be that would result in a finding of an improper uh, uh, or wrongful denial, which could result in a fine. All right. I got this question via text. Uh, this uh, listener writes, I'm supposed to be getting a decision on my custody case next week. With the courts being closed, do you know what the procedure will be for this as it's only a decision? So typically the courts uh, will contact the uh, the lawyers representing the parties or if they're self-represented parties, they will contact the parties themselves directly uh, via telephone or email to let them know when a decision uh, has been released. And those decisions are released uh, via written uh, email decisions. So um, the person will get a link uh, or uh, a link to the decision or a phone call. If it was going to be an oral decision where the judge is delivering the reason in the courtroom, uh, they would get a call with a date and a time for the delivery of that decision to come to court. But given that the courts are closed, uh, the likelihood is that that would be delivered uh, via the internet and with a first notification by phone coming from the registry to each party. All right. Uh, What about divorce and separation? Uh, We like to think that everybody will get along, uh, especially if they are self-isolating or spending more time at home. That's not going to be the case. Do you think there's going to be an increase in divorce and separation? That's certainly the, uh, the the prediction that there has been statistics out of uh, Hubei province in China that the, the divorce registry there was apparently overwhelmed uh, in recent weeks um, with the number of divorces. I think the article I read said that there were 300 uh, applications for divorce in a time period in a number of weeks where typically during the year there's only five or something like that. So they had a tremendous uh, increase in divorce applications following uh, the quarantine period or during the quarantine period. And we are uh, getting, uh, as I said earlier, there there have been a, a, a great increase in calls to uh, women's shelters and to uh, family violence and abuse uh, telephone centers. Uh, apparently uh, on the news recently, I saw a story about a great increase in children calling uh, these crisis lines. So, um, you know, if you're in a home with an abusive parent, uh, this the, the pressure of not having income, the pressure of 
of being kept in the same house with everybody and not having the normal social outlets. So you have those all increase and uh, the likelihood of abuse increases. So um, my prediction uh, is that unfortunately there probably will be a significant number of uh, uh, an increase in divorce and separations following this. However, the, the other side of that is uh, that that uh, often when we see an economic downturn, we see divorces reduce because if property values drop, if RRSP values drop, a lot of people can't afford to separate and live uh, separate from each other and not share their finances with somebody else. Um, so that may be a countervailing pressure given the drop in the markets given i don't know if the real estate market has been affected by covid in terms of price drops but those things can have an impact as well and can people even proceed with divorce hearings or the divorce process given the the lack of businesses that are open can it even happen right now right so it can um legal services and law firms have been deemed to be an essential service in the province of BC. So uh, my firm is open, and many firms continue to be open, although my firm, like many, probably uh, have remote, their lawyers doing remote access to their office computers and remote remote uh, consults by Zoom or FaceTime or Skype with, uh, with clients. Um, but the, the court registry, um, even though it's closed physically, remains open electronically. So we can, we can prepare divorce documents, we can file divorce documents, we can prepare applications and file them, although setting dates for the hearing of those applications are likely to be delayed unless they involve something very uh, emergent. So we can deal with child protection issues, the necessity for restraining orders, things that are of an urgent nature can still be proceeded with uh, electronically be filed and then and then a hearing set in front of a judge.